stand up for yourself and I'll back you up cause problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what instead of would or could I think you should draw a line in the sand and stand your ground it's for your own good Hello, my name is Roy Poyan, and I'd like to welcome you to the next episode of The Voice of Families in Addiction. What we hope to cover today, and I say hope because it's a two-way dialogue of information from us to you, is that we identify what steps the families could take when they're dealing with this addiction as a journey um, in place of the fact that it's just happening. Okay, so what we would like to do is to suggest that um, there are things that are designed for institutions and clinicians to be able to use. Uh, they're called algorithms and care. And what algorithms and care allows for the clinician to do is to take something that's been proven. Uh, they, they use the word empirically proven and kind of stamp it into the place that they are with the person that they're currently caring for. So today we're going to take a look. It's the second part of a three-part uh, introduction to the abacus, family chronic disease management for substance use disorder. Um, what we're doing is we're taking a very like, complex situation and we're looking and saying, how does the clinical industry treat this complexity uh, in terms of process, procedures, it's supported with, uh, with billing codes and, and, and clinical, uh, clinical application of, of pharmaceuticals um, in order to treat medical comorbidities, dual diagnosis and mental health, and the different stages of severity for the person that's dealing with addictions. So when we're kind of looking at the family, we're saying, hey, be careful, you know, um, these people don't, and myself, myself is included, uh, these people are just families, not just families, but they're family members, they're not trained clinicians, and we shouldn't be treating them as such. Well, yeah, you know, I can, I can go with a lot of that, but, you know, at the same time, they're not dumb. I mean, they're just like you and me, and they're capable of learning. Um, and then uh, I've heard people say, yeah, but they don't all want to learn. Well, that's true. Um, I do run into that a lot. Or they want to learn this, but they don't want to learn that. The problem is this and that have to go together to become what it is you're trying to get to. So uh, that, that gets kind of um, complicated also. So when we're looking at a model uh, such as uh, the, what we're proposing in the abacus, um, we're, we're looking at saying, hey, this is available, okay? You can, you can not use it, and good luck. Because uh, I'm not sure, you know, really what else you could do in terms of in order to be effective. Because most of what you're going to do is built into this model, um, or you can suggest that I just want pieces out of it. I don't want to do the whole thing. Um, you could do that, okay? Anybody who designed something would rather see what they've designed to be used in its full implementation. And but it's not about me. It's about you. So if, if that's what you'd like to do, then yes, it's designed for you to be able to kind of cafeteria style, select, you know, this and that and the other thing. Um, so what we're then kind of proposing is that the best way to do it is to get, just be committed. In, in AA, they've got a phrase called work the program. The program works. And I would like to suggest that this process is not proven out, uh, probably might never be proven out. It's not meant to be that kind of a, an application. What this is meant to be is uh, an idea of something that if you feel it's a value for you, then by all means, we've put it out there, it's free. So go ahead and, and, and use it to your advantage. So let me just briefly describe to you how you might consider using the abacus um, as we're going now into part two. Uh, you're, you're on, you are family members, and you are now at this point aware that there's a member of your family that um, is misusing substances. Uh, their behavior tells you as much. Uh, if not, you know, they've already gone through 
uh, an overdose or a relapse or have gone to a treatment center voluntarily before all those things happen. And um, now because of your awareness and your, your, your whole family dynamic is now at a new normal, uh, it won't be the normal that you had before this was introduced. So what you want to start to do is say, okay, you know, what, what is our chosen course? We, we, have a, we can sit there and say, well, we're just going to like respond to things as they present so we don't create problems that might not have ever really come to be had we not done this. Uh, well, I think that as you start to learn the, the, the delivery systems that are available, you'll see that there is a, a sequence of patterns that directly correlate to the sequence of this person's addiction journey, which also directly correlates with your family member's experience. Keep in mind, your family member is experiencing their addiction behavior, which basically is related to their use of the drug. So the use of the drug creates their level of behavior, which creates how you end up responding. So in effect, you're almost, you know, having a relationship with the drug with, with them in between. But it's them in between that's creating all this, especially in behaviors. So the other more like substantial part is down below is a complete system that's available for you to use as you go through what they are experiencing, okay? So I hope that makes sense because that is the kind of the, the, ver the visual schematic of what's taking place. So let's, let's kind of like make this a little bit more simpler for us to get involved in. Uh, you could go to a treatment center and they will treat the person by, and we've described part of this in other episodes, they will treat this by uh, going through detox, which is the first stage. It has, it has actually three phases to detox, typically lasting about seven days. And then at the third phase, they're going to start to say to the person, you need to continue now to build your coping skills. And we want to put you through a recovery or a treatment process over the next 16 weeks. It's intense. Matter of fact, the title of it is um, in, Intense Outpatient IOP. You'll hear the phrase used. We also have for a more uh, severe stage, mild, moderate, or severe, based on their uh, assessment, they, they might um, kind of like be better suited to be in uh, what they call PHP, which is a partial hospitalization program. And it is what it says it is. And uh, the, the highest level is more of a residential based on you know, your assessment and needs uh, and severity of, of your condition. Um, it may be suitable for you to be in a residential program. Um, the ASAM, the ASAM, uh, is a protocol um, organization that has written for clinicians to use in order to assess what level, when you come out of detox, should you be considered for. That's all very healthy and good. It's not something that you need to get involved in. Understanding that it's theirs is, is a value, but... You know, it's more for your comfort that you understand it than anybody would ever ask you to do something with it. So with this in mind, we're educating you so that you can use the system the way it is designed today uh, in a way that's supportive, uh, can be proactive by preparing, and, um, you know, really mental health-wise and, and, and also uh, physiologically, uh, this has an implication for you. You know what's going on. You're feeling more comfortable about it. You know, you're, there's more of a give and take with, you know, the issues as they come up. They're not these stark, dramatic, you know, rock on tire of your head, clubbing you every morning when you wake up. You, you really know what's going on. So with that in mind, the same is true with what the clinicians are doing, the delivery system. It's likely, nor do we need to have them take time to laboriously explain to every family member of every family that comes to the door, this is what we do. This is how we do it. I mean, I know that they would like to be able to have you at that level, but you know, that's not their role. That's not their purpose. Keeping in mind, this is an episodic event, meaning it's an episode, meaning it has a beginning and an ending. 
You come in on detox, you get discharged at the end of an IOP, okay? And then you go into an aftercare program. So with that in mind, um, your, your, your experience with them is almost like has a brackets, and that's an episode. And you take that and you push it off to the side, you say, okay, did we have more episodes? Well, yeah, very possibly several, based on the number of relapses you have. For that particular type of service, well, are there other types of services? Yeah, and most of them have a beginning and end too. Peer-to-peer support services uh, is an outstanding program where licensed and trained uh, peers who have experience, life experience with being in addiction and have now sound, soundly found their way through it and, and are in a much healthier place and now have trained themselves to be a, a peer to this person who's just starting in their journey or well into it. And they kind of team with them. They also now have peer-to-peer families. And, and that's, that's a real value also. So, but these have a beginning and ending point to them as well. So why do I keep bringing up the beginning and ending point? Well, I want to, I want to make sure that we, we all are of, a, of an understanding. This is a chronic disease. This is a disease that does not go away. It, it, it subsides and it gets lessened in their cravings and it gets more manageable, especially after year five, which is one of the markers on the highway that you're going down. But um, it, it, it'll, ne- it'll always be there. In the same way that because this is now present in your family, what was your norm is now a new norm. And uh, part of your searching, especially in the beginning, is seeing some of the harshness of that reality come to be in your family. Um, what am I saying? <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things that I'm saying is we used to be able to trust each other. Well, now that's kind of a little bit gone to the wayside. Um, are, are we really able to you know, trust each other in the same way that we used to be able to? I, I would argue probably not, you know, but that's the new norm. So we have to accept we get to redefine what does that mean. And, and it's kind of interesting because when you think about it, you probably wouldn't have stopped your life to take a look at things like empathy, you know, as opposed to compassion. Uh, Brene Brown has a great uh, video on that that describes it with cartoon figures. And it just does a, most people that view the video truly understand empathy better. Uh, she also has a lot of written work, Brene Brown, uh, or Brene Brown, excuse me, uh, on, on these topics of shame and vulnerability. And all of them have a lot to do with what our experiences of, as family members is when we go on this journey with substance use disorders and a loved one. So with that in mind, we're saying to you, um, let's, let's figure out what that journey involves. Well, we did that. We, we had an episode where we, where we laboriously went through. <laughs> God bless you for going through that with me. But the fact is, it was 32 issues that are very likely going to present. And the beauty of that is they're, they're in a book. Okay, We have a study guide. We've even condensed it to just 12 in, in kind of a certification program so that you can then, um, in the book, Family Solution Finder Certification, uh, which is on our website as a PDF download, or you can buy it on Amazon. And that allows you to kind of like get a condensed certification uh, of 12 key issues that we know are very valuable for you to, to review and have. Uh, one would be, and I'm sure you'll agree, enabling. There's 10 types of enabling. And when you start to take a look at that, you're more than likely, I'm really convinced, you're more than likely going to see uh, one, if not several, of the 10 types that are being played out by the family members in this environment uh, that you call successful life recovery. It's the new norm for the family. They're starting to talk about recovery. They are a star family, S-T-A-R, starting to talk about recovery. And what we're saying there is, well, we want to launch it. We want to shoot it out of a cannon. So what we're going to call this is shooting star families. And Shooting Star Families uses the Family Solution Finder Learning Series of those 32 episodes that are available to you. All this is on our website. All the books are available for free download. Families Impacted by Opioids, O-P-I-O-I-D-S.com. And our email address is at gmail.com.
So at Families Impacted by Opioids, we've, we've kind of shown you what the industry has said is going to likely be your journey. And more importantly, we're giving you coping skills on how to determine a solution on each of these issues, develop a decision, and design a plan of action. Well, you might sit there and say, so Roy, I thought you were going to talk about the abacus. Well, I am. Um, because your involvement in getting smarter is one of the first uh, of the first three steps to the disease management model. It is for just about all disease management models. That would include asthma, diabetes, CHF, COPD. They're all chronic diseases, and they clinically and, and in many ways care-coordinated-wise, they have their own um, algorithms that clinicians and therapists and professionals follow. Those, those are not something that are secret to the public. You can look them up just by Googling the name, um, and you can see exactly what they include. So with that in mind, the disease management model has not really been done for families. It's too big. It's too complicated. There's too many moving parts. A clinician would sit there and, and counter me with, what are you, nuts? Of course you cannot do that. I mean, it's too individualized. Well, that's right, and I, I would agree with them. And it would be, there would be lunacy behind trying to do something like that if we were suggesting that this model be taken, you know, as it says it is. So we need for us, we need to describe to you how you can use a chronic disease management model that's designed for the family. And here's what we're saying. The family now has this disease. It's a chronic disease, just like the person has the, a disease, and it's a chronic disease. The family, as members of the family, have a system. They're a unit. The unit has a system, a way that they process things. The system has a dynamic, the relationships, and the individual people inside the family as family members have a functionality and a potential to contribute. So their functionality and potentiality, now we're getting down to the individual person. And then the question is, in the family member, what do they know? I mean, really, uh, likely, because nobody really gets trained in this in advance, thank goodness you don't need to, but when it's happening, boy, it's a real advantage if you do it. So what we're now suggesting is, let's get you, because you are there, into a position of self-care knowledge. Well, I thought we were talking about the family. Well, remember, the family has individuals, and each individual has a functionality. And if we're going to help the family, we have to do it on kind of three different scales. The first scale is the individual. How's that person doing? How's the sister doing? How's the brother doing? How's the mother doing? And then the second level is how well do they relate to each other? How do they create that dynamic, that family bond, that everyday relationship. Uh, that's really important that you, they, that you take a look at that. This is manageable. When, when you give it air and you give it a conversation and it's a safe place and everybody assumes that each of you are vulnerable, which is kind of like an agreement that's made up front. Hey, listen, we're all vulnerable to the emotions of this. And when you start to talk in that kind of way, it, it lessens the likelihood that somebody will be offended by something that somebody else says and takes everybody off track. So with that in mind, and that happens a lot, but with, with that in mind, we want to be able to help the families understand the, the key issues, and that's why the Family Solution Final Learning Series is so valuable. The 32 issues are presented. Each issue has three learning objectives. Each issue has how it will impact the family and the family member workbook. Each issue has three coping skills. And each issue has how to connect a professional on this issue to help the family, to help the family. So with that in mind, the model is this kind of larger you know, set of arms and hands that embrace the family and draw them in closer and gives them a hug and says, listen, it's okay. As a family, if you're willing to, we can unite you and you can start to work in, in, in collaboration with each other in the same way that our society provides you with different services, peer-to-peer, -peer, rehab center, mental health center, medical ER, 
all of these are society's expression of saying, hey, we know you got this disease. Now let's group together as services and provide care for you. So you can actually get through this. So if we look to the family, we say, hey, family members, let's get together once again and start to take a look at what we are in terms of our functionality, what our potential to contribute will be, and then let's get knowledgeable about what this disease will present to us as a family disease and how it works inside of our family dynamic. Well, you know what we're doing here? I mean, let, let's, let's cut to the chase. What we're doing here is we're suggesting to you, you're in a bad place and you may not even realize how bad. It may be that you came into this situation in a bad place. Your family may have been dysfunctional and you were just riding the wave, you know? And then this hits, it's no longer a wave, it's a tsunami, it's a tidal wave. So, which creates a whole different set of characteristics. So, um, it's, it's like, you know, I had a wound, I didn't take care of it, now it's a stage three wound and it's going towards the bone. Okay, well, that's because you didn't take care of it. And we could have given you medicines that would have circumvented and started the healing process. And once healed, you would have been able to cope better with this. So we're, we're suggesting the same kind of um, idea exists, only it's family. I know it's really hard to get, I, I, it is for me, it's really hard to get my head around. The fact is we're, 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 we're transcending so many different topics. Uh, the family, the individual family members, the family dynamic, how they interact on topics, how they respond to topics. They respond according to their level of knowledge. What is their level of knowledge? And they can get into what's their skill in being able to use their knowledge. I mean, how effective are they in saying, well, I know this and therefore I'm going to make a sound decision. And more likely if it's an informed decision, it's probably a good decision. And, and then the other families of the member are of like mind and they agree, okay? You don't get there by accident. I mean, you really don't. You, you, you pretty much, I hate to use the word have to because there's no have to's in this whole discussion of any of our episodes. It would benefit you if you got together as a family, sat down and said at the family table and put out some coffee and some you know biscuits or whatever and, and plan to stay a while and say, let's get real with what's going on here because it's not going to go away and it will get worse if we don't start to manage it better. And, and then, you know, start to take a look. You know, my, ours is just one of many different resources for you to learn from. And we encourage you to use as many and get the one that you're most comfortable with. Uh, it may be that as you go through one, you kind of like outgrow it or it becomes too common to you. So you, you try another one and that's more stimulating and more interesting and has more value because you've moved, you know, in your understanding. And now you require a different level of education resources, which is very good. Uh, in terms of moving on. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to where we ended in our last episode. And I'll just bring you back to that for a moment. We were talking about you know, the sequences of you, we're, we're more or less screening, and we talked about the DAST and the MAST as tools to do that. That helps us in like 24 questions understand you know, are, do we have a problem? It's not an assessment, it's just a screen. And it says, yes, we have a problem, and you should look further into it. And then we go for an assessment, and the assessment is a much more deliberate, uh, longer process of weighted uh, questions and answers uh, with a numeric scaling. And that allows you to start to create a diagnostic uh, of which you use the DSM-5 to understand if these things are present from our assessment, then the DSM-5 helps the clinical world understand that this is what it is that you're dealing with. And through the assessment and a little bit more into the diagnostic, we can start to say, to what severity, okay, stage it, mild, moderate, severe, where are we, where are they? Because once we have the diagnostic, the assessment, and the staging, then we can look at something called a plan of treatment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I wanted you to kind of see the framework of the disease management model. And that is, 
once we know that we have the assessment, and we might do an assessment on all of our systems also, the clinical assessment might include cardiovascular, pulmonary, immunological, neurological. Um, there's, there's many different, you know, is their pancreas functioning? How well are their kidneys doing and liver? You know, do they have a cardiac valve problem? Do they have pulmonary glass in, in their breathing? From all the different things that this drug and its repercussions has created in the body, are we dealing with something? That's also an assessment. So have I, have I like confused you enough? I feel like I keep stacking more meat on the sandwich and we won't be able to take a bite out of it. But with that in mind, that's what this journey is about and that's what it looks like. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to take the layers apart and, and really understand what's in the sandwich. So uh, with that in mind, we're looking at a clinical pathway that's being applied because we, we've been down this road many times. In most of these clinical pathways, they have actually applied it to tens of thousands of patients and studied them and numerically monitored them and came up with you know uh, occurrences and, and prevalence and conditions. And uh, this has been given a lot of intellectual work. And for that reason, you and I should feel very comfortable that these empirically proven studies and, and best practices are truly the best way to go, and we should get behind them. But first, we have to kind of have an understanding as to how they play out. So we're, we're on a clinical pathway. We're giving treatment. Uh, the treatment might have called for a, a certain number of group sessions during their IOP, 16 weeks uh, at the treatment facility. But what we're going to try and do is we're going to look at the variances. And this quickly becomes a management of what might be changing with the person. And we do that with an intervention. So the diagnostic created the treatment plan. And the treatment plan was clinical utilization and, of course, financial. And what we're looking for is a measurement of how these are doing with the type of care we're providing them on a daily basis. If it's not working, we need to see that and we need to change it. That's called an intervention. When you change something, you're intervening on it. And what the variance is, those are like indicators that would suggest, hey, we're about to change. So the family can become not, you know, Gestapo type, you know, paramilitary monitors, but, you know, you don't want to live a life of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? But you, you do want a heightened sense of the fact that things are likely going to change. They usually do. And so most often with time, they change to the better. And you, know, you can feel good about that also. But with the fact that they might not be better, they may be um, going in the other direction, uh, you would want to intervene. And um, so what we're suggesting is that the plan of treatment should be changing as the person changes. You don't need to apply really intense services on somebody that needs low-level services. It's an overkill, and it can start to create problems that wouldn't exist if you weren't doing that. Um, so matching who they are when they're that way with what we're doing and how is it working out is, is the art, okay? And that's what we're calling variance management. It's a proactive sense of kind of like mandating that we will always be monitoring, and it takes everybody to be able to do that. And, and that's kind of where we stopped in our last session. So what types of layers are we talking about in terms of a, a disease measure? Well, you know, when you're in the enrollment process, you should realize that you're in the enrollment process and treat it as such. Um, you sit there and you say, well, we've got to get him over to the treatment center. Now, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about we need to bring him and enroll him into a program, okay, of which we have some awareness as to what the program involves. And the fact is we asked really good questions of the group that was providing us this service, and we know why we're there. So that's a lot different than we're going to drop them off at the treatment center and then run away and hope they fix them. Uh, and I'm not saying people do that. I'm just saying we have seen it. So with that in mind, staging and knowing what the stage is and then the plan of treatment and then monitoring the variant and then figuring out how's it working. That's called outcomes. How's it working? Um, typically, when you call and you say, how's Bill doing? You're, you're basically saying to them, 
in their world at the treatment center, the mental health center, or who's ever providing services, well, given that they're, that they're at a stage moderate, and given the algorithm of treatment plan that we're applying, and the timeline that it takes for this treatment plan to produce certain types of notable results, we're seeing that he's like successfully advanced through the notable results along the timeline very well. And with that in mind, we, we, we've adjusted his treatment because of the indicators that are suggesting that he's doing well. He doesn't need the more intense. So we've taken him, we put him into a little bit lighter one, which helps to build his confidence. And he can see that he's starting to get better. And he's rewarded feeling with that feeling. And that's a new cognitive firing that's taking place inside his brain. And now he's starting to use his executive functioning in the prefrontal cortex more and less relying on the pleasure, the dopamine, the memory of the stimulant being used. So, you know, the, the part of this is that awareness of how the plan of treatment is affecting the progress. And progress is a timeline and progress is notable uh, indications that if they are doing this, then we're assured that they're moving forward. By the way, what they'll tell you is he's doing fine. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to get into all the outcomes reporting and things like that, and they shouldn't, okay? And we shouldn't be asking them. But we should we should care enough, and I don't mean to should on you. I, it, it's to our advantage to be able to sit there and say, we understand, you know, what, what you mean by that. And and then and then we we can start to say, okay, well, what will he need when he gets out? And that's almost like... Um, a reentry, and we, we tend to use the word reentry when we're talking about uh, incarceration. It's widely used, uh, but really, uh, there's some dynamics inside the family of he's going to be let out of rehab soon, and the anxiety shoots up. Well, remember we talked about you know we're going to manage these things because we know that they're going to happen in advance. So I have a question for you right now: What are you going to do when Jack gets or Donna gets out of rehab? How's your new normal going to be effective in creating an environment for successful lifelong recovery? You got a lot to learn here. I mean, let's face it. There's all kinds of YouTubes and clinical papers and books written on what a family can do to help this person on their journey to recovery. You're, you're going to be a part of their, they're in your dynamics, so you're going to be a part of their lives either way. You can either manage it as a chronic disease, ah, uh, the abacus, or you can sit there and say, well, we'll figure it out as it hits us, and um, gosh only knows what that's going to look like. Oh, boy, here we go. Well, okay, if that's the way you choose to do it, I'll tell you what, it's not the way I wanted to do it, and for that reason, um, you know, I, I, I did. I started to bore down on understanding. Um, and when that person reaches a time when I'm more included in their lives, I'll be better off for them for me to be in their life and uh, we can work together on a new norm of what our family life will be like going forward which because I have the kind of knowledge that I have now I'm more comfortable with that that's where I want you okay that's where I want you because of knowledge and because of the work that you're going to do so when we're starting to say okay well you know, the clinicians know what they're doing, and typically they don't want to get involved in it, and that's probably a good thing. We, we don't belong there. They're clinicians. That's what we're paying them for. And let's face it. You don't go into Firestone, crawl underneath the rack, and start to pull lug nuts. You can let the guy do the job, and he puts it back on the rack. He pulls it out, and he says, here's your keys. Okay, well, that's fine, but now we got to deal with this car. Um, oh, it's running better now. It's your new norm. Yeah, it's running better now for a while, but, you know, we got to keep our eye on it and over time. You know, there may be some maintenance that needs to be done. Yeah, and the same is true with Jack. So with that in mind, now a whole other selection of like social services, community services. Well, now the family can get smart on that while they're in the rehab. Or if you haven't had that advantage, they get smart on it now. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a seminar in Fentanyl and Families in Harm's Way, our 32-episode TV series, and it's titled Community Mapping. Um, so go ahead and take that and do it and do some community mapping. And we also have, I believe, a, uh, an episode on uh, the voice of the families and addiction where we discuss community mapping. So, and, and by the way, the book 
the family, the, the, the family Solution Finder certification book with the 12 seminars. One of them in there, one of the seminar sessions in the book of 12 is, uh, is community mapping. It's because it's so important that the families understand this is a, a communio. This is our society understands what you're going through and they've already built it for you to use. But they can't make you do it. I mean, this isn't the army where they sit there and say, you'll be out in a formation, dress right dress, and you know, your, 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 your thumbs are going to be pointing straight down along the seam of your pants, and you know, your, your shoulders are going to be you know, so wide, and when you walk, you're going to do 30 inches in, in, in your swing of your, of your arms, 15, uh, 30 front, uh, 15 back. So the fact is, we don't have control over you, okay? If we did we would probably have you do this, okay? Because the outcome, we know, is going to be a successful outcome. But with that in mind, you could do it to yourself to a, to a less intense degree. But you could do that to yourself. You could involve uh, other family members and peers and friends and do that with a counselor, a family counselor on board that can help guide you. Okay, you know, in the next session, let's talk about your 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 plan of community involvement or your plan of you know, working with your faith group and, and setting this up for your family members as well as the one that's dealing with addiction. So then when we start to look at things like, um, you know, the coordination, well, if you know what the path is for them, then you can help to coordinate more services that'll be of value for them. You're kind of like a case management company. Yes, that's right. One of the most key factors in a good disease management model is the strength of its case management component and its care coordination, coordination of services, coordination of clinical, so they all meld together in a selected goal on a timeline that's considered a clinical pathway. I hope that this is uh, making sense. Uh, of course, it makes sense to me but because I'm, I'm, in, I'm walking us through this, but um, if it doesn't, give me a call, 440 385-7605. You know, we'll, we'll spend 45 minutes on the phone and we'll kind of walk through all of it. I, I would enjoy doing that with you and it's just another way that I can be of assistance in, in your journey. Um, so now we're starting to talk about recovery. There's a, it comes in three stages, three primary stages. And you shift and move, in, you know, your management of this chronic disease involvement as a family. You shift as these three stages go through. The abstinence stage is one to two years. And in that, they're very vulnerable. And they haven't really, you know, grasped hold of their coping skills enough times using them that they feel self-confident and, and are competent in doing so. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that in a certain degree, we've allowed them to uh, have the time and experience to safely practice the art of recovery. In the abstinence phase, uh, we see that to be the time when they're most vulnerable and not getting it right. It doesn't mean they're not trying. More than likely, they're trying very hard. I mean, very hard. And um, we could maybe find ways to reward, you know, when we are available to, and it's appropriate, um, how well that is turning out for them. So uh, it's not like we always want to sit there and say, gee, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. That's miserable. And I'll be honest with you, I'd want to eliminate myself from you also, regardless of whether I had an addiction. I mean, that's not very empathetic. So the way that we like to do it is catch them doing things that are right and, and give them you know, a positive affirmation about the fact that it's right, what it was that they did that caused it to be right, and how encouraging it is that they might repeat that you know, in the future when the, when the chance arises. So um, that's the abstinence. It's a lot of feedback. It's a lot of trial and error and getting it wrong, getting it right. It's a lot of embarrassment. Oh, it's an awful lot of shame. And, 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 and the vulnerability is huge. We need to use those words. We need to understand, well, Roy, what do you mean when you're saying you're vulnerable? You're, you're available to be hurt. And, and in being hurt, you're also available to heal. And the beauty of vulnerability is in the fact that you can heal and that 
the healing creates a new level of what is real. And that becomes a new level of norm. And it often is stronger than before when you were not vulnerable. We might think, well, I'm not going to expose myself to being hurt by him by emotionally showing him that I love and I just pain for him. I, I, I'm going to hold that back. I'm not going to let him see you know, that, that I feel that way. Well, that, that, that's certainly your choice. Uh, you're not being very vulnerable, which means you're not going to get hurt, which it's, uh, often it's a safe hurt. I mean, we get through it. But with that in mind, that allows us to kind of like reconcile with, well, why, why do we get hurt? I mean, is it something that we've like conceptualized in our mind that has made us maybe the vulnerability more exaggerated than it needs to be in terms of its being real or echoes of our past. Maybe we have triggers. Maybe we're kind of scared that we'll have to introspectively look at ourselves when we're vulnerable. And that that's frightening. It's frightening for me. I'm sure it's frightening for others too. So um, take time to, to take a look. You, know, you don't need to do a deep dive study, but read a couple of articles on vulnerability and, and, and then take a look at the topic separately of shame. I know you're going to sit there and say, hey, Roy, we were talking about disease management model. How the heck did you ever get us into the topic of talking about emotional things like shame and vulnerability? Because that's what is being managed. You're not managing parts in a warehouse. You're, you're, you're managing how you feel about things how those feelings impact you, and, and then you know how you share that impact, how you share the strength, how you share the journey of vulnerability, how you share getting hurt you know, in a positive way. Will blame be a part of that? I guarantee you blame will be a part of that. Okay, so now we're going to go in a whole other topic, huh? Yeah, probably. So then what is blame? Well, blame is often... A, the, the fact that we haven't come to an understanding of what something is. And if we're going to sit there and we're going to say, listen, Jerry, I blame you for this. Well, that means that we've got to lay out the facts. You did this, 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 and that. Okay. But if we were to take that apart, this one, this two, this three, and then that number four, and we were to put it on a separate page and we would say, Number one, this. The number one, this. What is it? And, and how reasonable is it that it relates to your statement of number two? The number two, this. The next page. And you start to say what it is and how well it correlates with what was before it in number one and what's to come in number three. Because this was your reasoning, your logic. Oh, gosh, are we going to start to talk about logic now? <laughs> yeah, we are. Okay. Well, this is lunacy. I mean, we're now talking, we were talking about a disease management pro program. That's right. What do you think we're managing here? We're, we're, we're not managing his medical assisted treatment appointments. This is ours that we're managing. This is our feelings, our thought life, how we respond emotionally to things. How functional are we is the question. These are the deeper idiosyncrasies that co comprise functionality. So when we start to go to that level and we're at the repair stage and they're in number two to five years in that phase, well then, all right, do we do things differently? More than likely. Mm. Why? Because they've changed and now we have to change also. You don't want to keep using the same techniques in the uh, one to two years when they were in the abstinence stage, this is a new stage. This is where they're repairing. All right. Well, what does that mean? Well, more than likely, your vulnerability shifted from them accusing and hating and rejecting and not loving you back. And you're starting to ask yourself, well, why do I need that? You know, can't I just love them and accept the fact that they're not available to love me back for a time, one to two years? <clears throat> knowing that they'll, excuse me, that they'll come into um, a new sphere of uh, the repair stage.
So in the repair stage, we're going to start to take a look at um, what is it that needs to be repaired? Oh, boy. Well, that depends on how severe the, the problem was. That depends on, you know, what, what, they, what they did while they were going through it. Uh, there's a lot of factors. So taking that apart as a family is probably a good idea. Not for the purpose of itemizing it and saying, you did this and you did that and you did this. Now, that's not the reason. The, the reason would be to itemize it to suggest when this happened to us, how did we feel? How did we respond? Where did we park it? And now that we're in the recovery phase, how do we want to recover ourselves from this? Well, now, wait a second. <laughs> it's Jack that's in recovery, Roy, not us. Oh, yeah, actually, because Jack's in recovery, so is the family in recovery. Remember, this is a disease management. This is what you're managing about the disease. You as a family are also in recovery. And you're a family system with a family dynamic, and now you have to start to resolve some of the things that have happened and move forward. Otherwise, you're going to be just as mad, angry, and um, not able to move forward as you were when you first dropped them off at the treatment center. And wouldn't that be a shame? Jack moves forward and the family stood still. I, I can't begin to tell you how often we see that. It's very often that way. And that's because the family did not reach inside itself and say, hey, guys, gals, we need to come up with a better continence of what our family is. What do we stand for? What are we about? What is the true family dynamic? You know, Americans have been doing this since America was there. And before then, when these people said, we're going to move to a new country and we're going to create a new norm and we're going to challenge ourselves and we're going to be vulnerable to attacks and we're going to have to create new skills. This is the same thing. Nothing new about this story. It goes all the way back through the Bible. And the fact is, it is good. I'm not saying that addiction and the journey of addiction is good. I'm saying that when you have the opportunity to respond in a way that is more structured and you can manage this as a disease of the family and you can look at what that functionality is and you can dig down in deep on shame and vulnerability and how well you make decisions and how you use a model to find a solution and create a plan for the family to unite around and how you're going to respond to certain issues that require community services, this strengthens the family. I am not going to suggest that this is news to you. The exact opposite is happening in America. This disease is tearing us apart. We, we are so lacking in knowledge on how to respond, and we don't need to be. There's, there's just so much information out there for us to take advantage of. We need to reach out, put our arms around it, and bring it close into us, and then understand we don't know these things, and that's okay, you know? But there's people out there that do, and it's in pieces. And it's going to be our job, because it's our life, and it's our family dynamic, and let's face it, this is the so-and-so family, and this is how we function. This is what we're about as a family. We have family pride, and that's what we're going to push even further forward than all of our activity. Ahead of all this is, where is your family pride? And you might sit there and say, oh, are you kidding me? We got Jack, and he's, you know, he's been thrown in jail in the public square, and he's just totally ruined our family image. Yes, that may be the case, but the story is not yet done. The real story isn't that this happened to you. The real story of what kind of family you are has more to do with how you responded to this. And that means you figured out and you collectively gathered yourselves together and say, we are the so-and-so family and we don't put up with this and we're going to get smart on this and we're going to use a disease management model for the family and we're going to figure out exactly how we can do this better our way. <laughs> Not, not shooting star families way, not, you know, um, some, you know, NIH way. This is our way. We're going to use those elements as part of our knowledge growth, but we're going to define ourselves, 
not the drug. You never let a disease define you. You always take charge of that by figuring out what the disease is and labeling its different parts and giving it air and giving it a conversation and determining for yourselves what does this mean to us. Because now you really know what it is in its parts and you can more assess what it means to you in its whole. And that is the beauty of being empowered by knowledge, which is the whole mission of families impacted by opioids, is to build our knowledge so that we can respond in a way that's going to manufacture the us, the, the true essence of us, which typically involves, I love you. I mean, God pours into us love. And he's said over and over again in the Bible, you know, I want you to share what I've given you. And, and, and the nice thing is I'm going to give you this thing called, you know, 87 years of life in your eternity. And we're going to just take this small person, person, portion of your eternity. And I'm going to give you the chance to, like, experience the opposite of what I am. And, and it'll give you the chance to apply it to that. And the beauty is you're going to see how it wins every time. Love conquers all. And so when we get down to the growth stage, which is five years plus, it's about love. It's about the fact that we've gone through the other, you know, five years of recovery successfully. And by the way, at year five, they dropped to less than 15% likelihood of relapse. It's not an end point, but it certainly is a nice road marker when you drive by it. Because it shows you that you're going to do well, and it reaffirms and you always have this anyhow, but it reaffirms hope. Oh, here we go with another word again. <laughs> hope. So what, what does hope mean? Well, hope's kind of like faith. Um, it, it, it's, it's something that we, we take on for ourselves as being real, as though it was tangible and we could put our hands on it. But it's not seen. It's not experienced yet. But we believe it so much to be real that it is real to us. It's our faith. We have faith that this will come to be. We have hope. And, and in many religions, faith, hope, and love work together. And each of them, you could write encyclicals on, on all of them and, and, and not be done expressing what those are. So with that in mind, We'll forego that. But when we, start, when we start to look at what exactly is you know, involved in all of this and where does it take us, you're coming in as a new client to all of these different services. There's going to be a point of entry, and you can learn about that before it happens. You can learn about this, and, and many to post-relapse, okay? Or you can learn about it pre-relapse. And then you, you, you start to say, well, so where does the family come in all this? Well, the family was there before, and the family is there during, and the family is there afterwards. The fact of the matter is the services that you've procured, because you are a consumer of healthcare services now, um, they, are, they should be considered more or less um, temporary where you are permanent. You're the only entity in this person's life that will be there before, during, and after. Think about it, you know. The ER, that's, ep that's real episodic. That's a real short time frame. The, the treatment centers in the course of things, they are there very short term, you know. They give you some information and, you know, now it's up to you to use it. So they go back out into their lives and they're back with the family and they're going through what we just identified as the three phases of real of recovery and now we're starting to say oh so really the disease management model is about hope faith and love in what the family does for itself and how it's getting ready so that it can be those things today making them real 
for what will be used in the future tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's your act of kindness. And um, God bless you for it. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, I hate when I say that. I'll be honest with you. Like I've been lying all the way up to now. Um, but but from, from my perspective, I think that you will really be in a position of strength by doing and taking the time to do all this. It's going to be so easy for you not to do it. I, I can't begin to tell you how many times I sat there and said to somebody, you are enabling. These are the 10 types of enabling. I want you to take the enabling versus consequences seminar. I want you to read it in the 32 seminar study guide. I want you to take the workbook and, and, and apply it to your lives to see the impact. And then I want you to use the 3D coping skills and determine a solution, develop a decision, design a plan of action. And they would look at me and say, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do all that. That's his problem, not mine. That's his problem, not mine. And I would just think, word, but how foolish. You know, you, you have the ability, and you're not going to do it. Why? Because you're too busy? No, that's not it. Because um, it's too expensive? Well, it's free, so that's not it. Um, so why? Why wouldn't you do it? Vulnerability, shame. Oh, so those are obstacles. So um, we need to overcome them before you'll end up doing this? I mean, what's it going to take for you to sit there and say, game on, turn the lights on, we're coming into the room, we're going to sit down and we're going to occupy this room and we're going to open the windows and give it air and we're going to deal with this straight up. We'd all like to believe that we're capable of doing that. And myself included, we only end up doing it to a limited degree. And I just want you to know that too is acceptable. But to not do anything... Sorry, you just wasted your time listening to this because that's going to get you nowhere. It gets us nowhere. It gets our society nowhere. It is exactly what the cartels want you to do, in which case you're owned by the cartels. As a family member inside of America right now with open borders and this poison coming over, and it is poison, this is a form of sponsored genocide of our families. And I know that's like, oh, gosh, Roy, we're getting a little serious here. I thought you were talking about disease management. None of this would be needed if that wasn't happening. We might be dealing with a different type of addiction. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, this one is very severe. And this is an epidemic in, 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 in its own rights. It's, it's murder. And we need, we need to really take this seriously because our kids are going to be going to prom we have the holidays coming up. Our society has all these like hallmarks created in a year that would that we advertise. Go out and do this. You know, go out and drink a lot. You know, have fun. Go and party and socialize. You know, we, we actually make it acceptable and we promote it as such. So we got a lot going against us in the terms of how our culture functions and then how addiction is a part of that culture. But it's changed. The game has changed now because of the poison that's involved in this. So with that in mind, there's a sense of urgency. And I hope, I hope you'll call me and let's talk or email me at familiesimpactedbyopioids at gmail.com. My, my number is uh, Roy Poyan at 440-385-7605. Um, we'll get you started. And that's the point. We can do a Zoom. We can guide you through a couple of these uh, episodes. To, to really start to get the juices going and, and form up. What is your definition of your family and your new norm as a family dealing with substance use disorders? Are you willing to apply a family substance use disorder chronic disease management model? And if so, we've got it and we can help you to learn it and use it in whatever design you want to. We also have the 32 learning episodes in book format with four learning books as part of their learning series. Or you can watch it on television, of which we go through the books on fentanyl and families in harm's way. Or you can view these podcasts, which give the conversation to these same topics in the voice of families in addiction. Once again, my name is Roy Poyan. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast and look for our next podcast. Have a great day.
stand up for yourself and I'll back you up because problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what instead of would or could I think you should draw a line in the sand and stand your ground it's for your own good <laughs>